Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast, based on the Morning Report series from Elsevier. This podcast has been adapted for audio in collaboration with series editor Dr. Raj Dasgupta, as well as the volume editor for each book. Each episode features an in-depth case dissection format and aims to deliver practical, concise, and easy-to-digest information. And now, here's today's episode. We're going to discuss the case of a groin mass in a 48-year-old male. The case begins with the 48-year-old male, who does not have any significant past medical history, presenting to the general surgery office with a complaint of left groin pain. He describes the pain as intermittent and seems to worsen with heavy lifting and straining. This has been occurring for approximately two years, but has recently become more intense. Upon further questioning, he admits to feeling an occasional bulge in his left groin, especially with prolonged standing. So what is the differential diagnosis for groin pain? There are both acute and non-acute pathologies that can produce groin pain, and it's imperative to differentiate between them. Non-acute problems are more common and include hernias, such as inguinal and femoral, spermatic cord pathology, including hydrocele, spermatocele, and varicocele, and lymphadenopathy. Musculoskeletal strains, especially in athletes, and vascular etiologies, such as iliac aneurysm and pseudoaneurysm, are also in the differential diagnosis. Acute surgical problems include incarcerated and strangulated hernias, testicular torsion, and epididymitis. Details in both history and physical examination are essential in determining the cause of the pain. What are the primary physical examination techniques that can be used to evaluate a groin mass? Most groin pathologies can be diagnosed with a thorough physical examination. It's imperative to examine the patient standing. Both groins should be examined for bulges at rest and with straining, which you can do by asking the patient to cough or bear down. Most inguinal hernias can be found by directly palpating the inguinal canal. In a male patient, the external and internal inguinal rings can be further examined by invaginating the redundant scrotal skin with the index finger to follow the spermatic cord above the inguinal ligament from the scrotum. Femoral hernias can be palpated inferior to the inguinal ligament, though the distinction is not always clear in obese patients. Palpation of the cord and testes can help differentiate hernias from other pathology. On physical examination of our patient while he's standing, there's a bulge in the left groin that's palpable with and without the Valsalva maneuver. It is non-tender and easily reducible. The right groin and both testes and spermatic cords are otherwise normal. What are the types of hernias, 
and how can they be distinguished? A hernia, in general, is the abnormal protrusion of a structure through a defect. Hernias are most commonly found protruding through defects in the abdominal wall and are named based on the location of the defect. It's important to understand this anatomy, so go ahead and find an image of the inguinal anatomy while we discuss this. The types of inguinal hernias include direct, in which the location of the defect is Hesselbach's triangle, which is bordered by the inferior epigastric vessels laterally, the rectus muscle medially, and the inguinal ligament inferiorly. Indirect hernia is another type of inguinal hernia, and the defect is through the internal ring. Some patients have both a direct and indirect component to their hernia, and this is known as a pantaloon hernia. Other abdominal wall hernias include femoral hernias, the defect of which is through the femoral canal, an umbilical hernia, which the defect is through the umbilicus, a spigelian hernia, where the hernia defect is at the intersection of the semilunar and arcuate lines of the abdominal wall, and an incisional hernia, which can be at any location in the abdominal wall through which a surgical incision had been placed. Physical examination is in fact the predominant method of detection of hernias, but imaging by CT scan may be necessary to evaluate hernias through the abdominal wall and their contents, especially if a bowel obstruction, incarceration, or strangulation is suspected. What are some clinical findings of incarceration and strangulation that should be red flags when you're evaluating a patient? The feared complication of any hernia is that it will become incarcerated or non-reducible and its contents strangulated or cut off from their blood supply. An incarcerated hernia that is not strangulated may be painless and non-tender. This does not require emergent surgery. A strangulated hernia is non-reducible, painful, and tender to palpation. As the hernia contents progress from ischemia to gangrene, the patient can develop local erythema or skin discoloration, generalized abdominal tenderness, peritonitis, fever, tachycardia, and ultimately septic shock and death. A strangulated hernia requires emergent surgery. Femoral hernias are more likely than inguinal hernias to present with incarceration and strangulation. A question that you may be asking yourself is whether all patients with abdominal wall hernias require surgical repair. Asymptomatic hernias may be electively repaired or left alone if desired. Patients with a hernia should be instructed to seek immediate attention if signs and symptoms of strangulation occur. Whereas the strangulation risk is low, most hernias will eventually become symptomatic over time. They may become uncomfortable, large, or painful. At that point, they should be repaired with surgery. Because femoral hernias tend to be incarcerated more frequently than inguinal hernias, surgical repair is recommended for even asymptomatic femoral hernias. Back to our patient. He is scheduled for an open inguinal hernia repair with mesh. Upon dissection of the hernia sac from structures of the spermatic cord, the hernia sac is seen protruding through the internal ring, consistent with an indirect hernia. The hernia sac is ligated and reduced into the abdomen. A mesh is placed to reconstruct the inguinal floor without tension. His immediate postoperative course is uneventful, and he is discharged home the same day. So what are the types of surgery that can be used for inguinal hernia repair? Inguinal hernia repair, or 
herniorophy can be broadly classified as open or laparoscopic with or without mesh. An open repair with mesh is the most common. This approach utilizes an inguinal incision with placement of a permanent prosthetic to cover the hernia defect and buttress the floor of the inguinal canal. An open repair without mesh utilizes suture and the native tissues of the abdominal wall to create a layered closure of the defect and inguinal canal floor. It is associated with a slightly higher risk of hernia recurrence compared with mesh repair. A laparoscopic repair, which can only be done with mesh, involves placement of the mesh posterior to the inguinal canal in the preperitoneal space. This approach is more technically challenging, but it has the advantage of less postoperative pain, quicker return to full activity, and less risk of chronic post-herniorophy neuralgia. The laparoscopic approach is a good option for recurrent hernias after a previous open repair, and for bilateral hernias, which can be repaired simultaneously through just three small incisions. So what are the steps that one utilizes in approaching an open inguinal hernia repair? First, incise along the inguinal canal. Then, incise the external oblique aponeurosis in the direction of its fibers. Next, it's important to identify the ilioinguinal, iliohypogastric, and genitofemoral nerves. Immobilize the spermatic cord, incising the cremaster muscle, and inspect within the cord for an indirect hernia. Next, inspect the floor of the inguinal canal for a direct hernia. Reduce any of the hernia sac after ligation. Reconstruct the floor of the inguinal canal with or without mesh and return the cord to its anatomic position and close the external oblique. What are the steps of laparoscopic inguinal hernia repair? There are two approaches to laparoscopic inguinal hernia repair, the transabdominal preperitoneal, or TAP, approach, and the totally extraperitoneal, or TEP, approach. In both approaches, an incision is first made at the umbilicus. In the transabdominal approach, enter and insufflate the peritoneal cavity with carbon dioxide. Place two laparoscopic ports. From within the abdomen, incise the peritoneum to enter the preperitoneal space posterior to the inguinal canal. In the totally extraperitoneal, or TEP, approach, one incises the anterior rectus sheath on one side of the umbilicus. Next, retract the rectus muscle laterally to expose the posterior rectus sheath. Insert a balloon dissector along the posterior rectus sheath toward the pubis and inflate the balloon to develop the preperitoneal space. Remove the balloon and insufflate with carbon dioxide and place two laparoscopic ports. From here, both approaches are similar. Dissect the hernia sac from the spermatic cord and reduce the hernia. Mobilize the peritoneum away from the inguinal canal and position a mesh posterior to the inguinal canal and anterior to the peritoneum. What are the potential complications of herniorrhaphy? Perioperatively, seromas and hematomas are common, especially after repair of large hernias that leave a large, empty space that can fill with fluid. These generally resolve within a few weeks. Postoperative urinary retention, especially after laparoscopic hernia repair, may occur due to a combination of general anesthesia, surgical manipulation of the bladder, and sometimes the presence of an enlarged prostate in older patients. Urinary retention is usually transient, 
but may require overnight placement of a Foley catheter in severe cases. Long-term complications include chronic post-herniorrhaphy pain, which is reported in up to 30% of cases at one year postoperatively. This is thought to be due to irritation or entrapment of the sensory nerves in the inguinal canal. The laparoscopic approach is associated with lower incidence and severity of chronic pain, but does not eliminate the possibility. In rare cases, severe neuropathic pain may persist for years and have a very negative effect on quality of life. Treatment options include nerve block injections, oral medications with neurotropic agents such as gabapentin, or reoperation to resect the sensory nerves and revise the hernia repair. The other major long-term complication is hernia recurrence, which is generally reported to occur in less than 2% of cases within two years. Hernia recurrence may occur anytime, even decades after surgery. Our patient returns to the office for his post-op visit two weeks later. He's concerned that he still has some pain in his left groin. On examination, there is a well-healing incision of the left groin. There's no erythema, edema, or recurrent hernia. So there are several pearls that we can discuss uh, related to abdominal wall hernias. First, abdominal wall hernias can present in various locations, but most commonly in the groin. We discussed here inguinal herniorrhaphy. Patients who have asymptomatic hernias may choose watchful waiting rather than surgical repair with appropriate counseling on symptoms of incarceration and strangulation, which can be emergencies. Symptomatic hernias should be scheduled for elective repair. Hernias that are incarcerated or strangulated may require more urgent repair. A wide variety of open and laparoscopic techniques are employed for hernia repair, with the goal of reducing the hernia and repairing the defect in the abdominal wall. Post-herniorrhaphy chronic pain is a dreaded complication that is difficult to treat. Hernia recurrence will occur in a small percentage of cases with any repair technique. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.